This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Tonight, bad boys. There you go. Police in one Democrat-run city finally figure out how to stop street takeovers. Can law and order make a comeback in 2024? Baby, you cold, baby. You cold, baby. Kangaroo Court. Yale kicked a student out of school despite a not guilty verdict in his rape case. Is there hope for a fundamentally flawed college justice system? Hold my beer. New video shows armed Good Samaritans can stop would-be robbers just fine. Will the retail industry take note? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, the Mexican drug cartels kill one American every eight minutes with the fentanyl they push on our country. History tells us it's mostly poor rural whites, which means it won't be covered by the national media. By the time this program ends, we hope you stay with us for the whole time, eight Americans will die. Coincidentally, the same number of Americans, eight, died this week in mass shootings by the most liberal definition of mass shootings. Of course, the fentanyl deaths are not covered. The mass shootings are. So tonight, we decided to try something different. We're going to cover fentanyl tonight the way most television networks cover mass shootings. Here we go. I'm Leland Vittert in Washington with breaking news. In the past hour, a chemical smuggled from China and sold by cartels in Mexico killed eight Americans. The killers are still on the loose. Since we know little about the victims, it's time to put this in perspective. The FBI estimates this deadly product sold by Mexican cartels killed 25,284 Americans already this year. There are, of course, ways to prevent these mass killings by Mexican drug cartels, but our leaders in Washington refuse to act. For years now, Democrats in Congress and the White House have blocked legislation naming the cartels that produce and sell this deadly weapon, sell this drug, terrorist organizations. They, in fact, will not go after the cartel kingpins. In fact, the American president routinely talks about cooperation with the Mexican president, who also refuses to take on the cartels. We, of course, don't know if these eight deaths this hour came from pills laced with fentanyl or the injectable drug. We don't know if it was eight teenagers trying the drug for the first time. Again, we don't know who sold them the drugs, but we know exactly where it came from. 
Here's the DEA administrator talking about who the Mexican cartels kill with fentanyl. Many of them didn't know they were taking the deadliest drug our country has ever seen. They didn't know that the prescription pill they bought from a dealer on social media was fake and actually contained fentanyl. We don't know where the eight deaths this past hour took place or where the eight the next hour will take place. But history tells us the drug cartels prey on rural white Americans, mostly in Appalachia, as you can see from this map, but other parts of America as well. As we continue our breaking news update, we are now six minutes into the show. So the FBI estimates the death toll from the Mexican cartels will rise over the next hour. In fact, just in the next couple of minutes. Part of the problem is there are just so many loopholes to getting fentanyl into America, much like the loopholes for buying guns. The Border Patrol is too busy with illegal immigrants often to stop the flow of fentanyl in. So now it's sadly up to state officials to act where Washington won't. We bring in Idaho Governor Brad Little, who's now sending some of his state patrol to the southern border. Uh, Governor, why is it that state officials and local officials are having to take on this crisis, take on essentially these murders, when Washington won't act? Well, we're doing our job to protect the citizens of Idaho from this scourge of fentanyl that's just exploding all over the country. And we know it's coming from the drug cartels. Yeah, there's no question where, where it's coming from. And we've talked a lot about declaring them terrorist organizations. I'm wondering a little bit about why something that is killing a thousand times more Americans than, than quote-unquote mass shootings, uh, by however you want to define them, doesn't get any coverage. 281 people have died in mass shootings, according to the Gun Violence Archive, so far this year. 25,284 deaths from fentanyl this year. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that it is it, the victims of mass shootings are more easily politically exploited than the victims of fentanyl? There's there's fentanyl. There's there's more political points to be scored. Well, I spoke to a group of high school students yesterday, and with me was a mother whose son took one of those pills, uh, unbeknownst to him. Uh, it was a pill that. Uh, some that he bought over the internet uh, that was one of those lace pills that came from the drug cartels uh, in Mexico. And I was actually on the DEA website this afternoon, and they point out the two cartels in Mexico that are doing that. And what's about to take place in just not too many hours from now is more chaos on the border, which means more opportunity for those drugs to be smuggled into all over the United States. We, we kind of know the routes. Uh, a lot of it's going to the east in the Midwest, but a lot of it is coming up through California, mm -hmm. through the uh, Intermountain West and across, and we're having uh, kids die in Idaho as a result of that. Yeah, we're looking at the map, and I think about Appalachia, Missouri, where, where I'm from, and, and certainly I, I think about those kids in high school, right? Uh, the media would tell them, hey, uh, you're, you should be scared of mass shootings and school shootings. Uh, and we've interviewed kids who are terrified about that. Uh, as you see the, the landscape, what is a bigger threat to kids, the, the, the mass shooter, the school shooter, or a, a pill sold by a friend who they got from their big brother? Well, that's why I was in 
the high school yesterday was making the point to those kids about how aware they need to be of the risk. You know, some some kid that got a prescription, a legitimate prescription for painkillers, and then the, that prescription ran out, and perhaps they got one from one of their family members, and then somebody said, here's, and I was just looking at the pictures. They look exactly the same. Yeah. The, the cartels have gotten so sophisticated that you can't tell the difference between an oxycodone pill that if you have a prescription for and one these evil people are selling the kids in Idaho. You call them evil people, and I, I don't disagree with you in, in any way. And we've done a lot of coverage of, of the cartels and what could be done actually against them, uh, you know, airstrikes and the like uh, inside Mexico. But I'm, I'm trying to understand, what do you make and why do you think there is such an obsession in America with gun violence and so little outrage and coverage of something that, as you point out, kills so many more kids every year? Well, it's not as, I mean, these, these things are tragic. The mother that talked to these kids yesterday, who's been part of our Fentanyl Takes All uh, .org uh, initiative in Idaho. It just it was a heartbreaking story for her to talk about uh, finding her son in the ha- her house that had died of this overdose. Six in ten of those pills that are being peddled uh, by the cartels have a lethal dose, and it depends upon who you are because some people yeah. have built up some resistance to fentanyl. But six in ten of them have the potential to have a lethal dose. Uh, for whoever takes them, particularly somebody that hasn't taken them before, that doesn't have uh, build up some kind of an immunity to them. Yeah, no, for, for, for sure. And, and now, you know, and obviously there's also the issue of going after the dealers, having the laws in place to go after the dealers and charge them um, in these deaths. Governor, we appreciate you being willing to talk about it, sir. Thank you. I know being with that mother was hard, but you're, you're doing important work. Thank you. Yes, sir. When we talk about the gun epidemic, and there is a gun violence epidemic in America, the vast majority, vast majority of Americans, especially young Americans, who are dying in America from guns don't die in mass shootings. 281 Americans died in mass shootings so far this year. It's tragic. That leaves 1,600 others who died in gun violence. That's not suicides. That's who died of murder. CDC data shows the percentage of African Americans killed by firearms is much higher. 23% compared to less than 1% of Asians and 2% for white Americans. 10 times the homicide rate among the African American community. A bulk of those deaths happen in major cities with soft on crime prosecutors. One district attorney is taking a whole different look, a hard line you might say, by calling for a national response to violence in our cities. Jason Williams, district attorney, in New Orleans is with us now. Mr. District Attorney, we appreciate you joining us, sir. Tell us what, what your plan is and how it's working in New Orleans. Well, we are being smart on crime. A lot of times people talk about whether you're t- tough on crime, soft on crime. We all need to be smart on crime. And that's not progressive or traditional. That's not left or right or Republican or Democrat. Everyone can agree murder, rape, and armed robbery need to be attacked aggressively with constitutional policing and prosecuting. And so we've ramped up in a lot of uh, unique ways. We are using social media, open source data. We've contracted with a group called Bancroft 
that is using open source data to look at the threats uh, that people are making to other people and the bragging that's occurring on social media to help us solve crime using uh, CCTV, real-time camera center footage, license plate readers, and funneling all of that into an elite homicide unit that's focused on bringing these numbers down. You say everyone should be in on this, but not everybody is. I think about stories we've covered in Chicago and New York and Los Angeles and Philadelphia who don't necessarily agree with the policies um, you're putting off. New Orleans crime statistics, business burglaries up 34 percent, auto theft 160 percent, 167 percent, total crime up nine uh, percent. How long is it going to take to turn this trend around? We're looking at this year. We're trying to get it done in this year, and that's why we're being as aggressive as we are. Um, and, and look, this is not about upending the Constitution. Uh, this is not switching to a broken uh, windows theory about putting more people in jail for low-level nonviolent offenses for the sake of numbers. This is about focusing in like a laser on people that are hurting people in this community and repeat offenders. And I think we can turn it around in very, very short order, but that means we cannot try to prosecute our way uh, for every type of crime. There's some things that can be dealt with in a lot of different ways. Diversion can be helpful. I, 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 I hear you, and I, 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 it's refreshing to hear someone talk like this, I, and I, I mean that genuinely. What I'm wondering is, it seems so obvious when you say it and you speak so bluntly and forcefully about it, but we know. In a, lot of, in a lot of these cities with massive crime rates, Chicago, I'm thinking, D.C., where carjackings are way up, the prosecutors don't talk like this. Is there something that you understand that they don't? Well, we don't have the luxury of time here in New Orleans. You look at uh, the murder rate being what it is. We don't have the luxury of, of, of using traditional strategies to get us out of it. But I want to be very clear. Violence uh, has become a uniquely American Pandemic, Urban settings, rural settings, Uvalde, Nashville, Midtown, Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, Cleveland, Texas. Uh, it's at an all-time high. And so we're also talking about prevention, policing, and prosecuting. Now, I'm focused on the prosecuting, but I'm well aware that the level of violence in our homes, child abuse numbers are high, domestic abuse uh, numbers are very high. And that's yeah. where people are learning violence. That's where people are learning how they're treating people. Yeah, so we're also doubling down on our, on our efforts on the violence in homes against uh, intimate partner, intimate partners and children. It, it's a great, it's a great point, and I, you know this better than most about who's dying uh, on the streets of New Orleans, and, and that you're there to protect them. Uh, Mr. Williams, it's a it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you. I know you'll be back. We appreciate the time. Thank you for your time, and thank you for your interest. A Connecticut judge found a disciplinary court at Yale so flawed that it has now allowed an accused rapist to sue his accuser for defamation, what it says about due process on Ivy League campuses. Plus, Atlanta police waste no time in restoring law and order. Is their way to stop street takeovers a model for the rest of the country? I was crossing the street when I met the love of my life. I chased after her. Nothing would stand in my way. Not the dog walker, nor the hot dog vendor. Finally reaching her, I asked, what do you call that amazing smell? Um, it's Gain Flings. Gain Flings. My love had a name, but more importantly, it had a scent. Fall in love with Gain Flings. Seriously good scent. Try Gain Flings and save even more at Target with a free gift card. 
for everyone from players to parents. Football offers unlimited growth with even more to learn. Visit futureforfootball.com to get ahead of the game. Find out where to play, what equipment to use, and get the latest from leagues around the country, including pro tips and parental info from the experts. These resources make it easier than ever to create your plan and make your play. Wednesdays, a CW original series. Here in Sullivan's Crossing, we treat everyone like family. From the number one New York Times bestselling author and the executive producers of Virgin River. Mom, I just have to get away from all that chaos. By going back there, that's a mistake. Starring Morgan Cohan. It's my mistake to make. And the CW return of Chad Michael Murray. We don't have stars like this in the city now, do we? And Scott Patterson, Sullivan's Crossing, all new. Wednesdays at 8, 7 central, stream free next day on the CW. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s message can be heard everywhere. His words change the nation. And though you might not know where the words came from, you can feel the truth behind them. We're now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We're confronted with the fierce urgency of now. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. called us all to service. Opportunities to serve those in need are all around you. And every time you volunteer to read to a child, serve a hearty meal, or clean up a park in your comunidad, his message becomes a reality. This January is your chance to let MLK's word inspire you to action. Learn how you can volunteer for a better tomorrow on MLK Day at AmeriCorps.gov forward slash MLK Day. I'm News Nation's Leland Vitter, wishing you peace and joy in the new year. May 2024 be your best year yet. This is ET3 Rojas Station on the USS Baton. I just want to give a shout out to my family and friends back home from Dallas, Texas, and I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. Hello everyone, I'm Staff Sergeant Oscar Goyes with the 112 Mobile Public Affairs Detachment, currently deployed to Poland. I'd like to take this time to thank my family and friends for all the support while we've been out here overseas. Can't wait to come back home. Love y'all. Happy holidays. I'm Carla Lloyd. I'm a school psychologist at Kubasaki High School and Lester Middle School in Okinawa, Japan. And I would love to say, wish my family a happy holidays. My mom, my dad, my sister, my brothers, all my nephews and nieces. A happy holidays back in Montgomery, Alabama, all the way from Okinawa, Japan. Happy holidays. We at News Nation are thankful for the men and women serving our nation far from home at this time of year. We wish them and their families the very best for the holiday season and a great and safe 2024. Now you can discover the mysteries of ham radio. Using modern transceivers, you can make friends all over the world, even talk to astronauts in space, ships on the high seas, and flying aircraft thousands of miles away. Unlike phone users, ham radio operators talk absolutely free and provide vital communications during disasters or emergencies. To find out more about ham radio, visit us at ARRL.org. And remember, unlike the Internet, we crisscross the entire globe wirelessly. senior at Yale in 2015 when he was accused of assaulting a fellow student on Halloween night. The woman claimed that Khan raped her after she admittedly had too much to drink. Khan denied the accusations, was arrested, and faced a criminal trial. It took a jury three hours, just three hours, to acquit him on all charges. 
The story, of course, didn't end there. There was a hearing on Yale's campus in which Khan and his lawyer were unable to cross-examine his accuser. They were not even allowed to be in the same room when she testified. Yale suspended Khan and eventually expelled him. But now the Connecticut Supreme Court has found that Yale's kangaroo court was so unfair, they issued a ruling in Khan's favor, in the accused favor. They wrote that Khan's lawyer's inability to cross-examine the accused reduced them, and we're quoting now, to the role of a potted plant, saying fundamental fairness requires meaningful cross-examination in proceedings like the one at issue. They found Khan could actually sue his accuser for defamation, something he is doing now. And Saif Khan joins us now. Um, Saif, I appreciate you being here. You're suing uh, Yale University for $110 million on the basis that the university violated uh, your rights throughout the investigation process. Um, help us understand, is your issue with the university and with the accuser? And I- I'm, I'm wondering why you wouldn't want to just move on from all this. Well, good afternoon, first of all, Leland, and thank yeah. you for having me. And, uh, well, my father and my grandfather, as they grew up in Afghanistan, have taught me to fight for principles, fight for what is correct. And so Yale has taken away my 20s, and I'll give them my 30s, and I will stand for what is fair. And uh, so I'm suing the university, Jane Doe, and 13 Yale administrators who tend to be at the root cause of this Kafkaesque nightmare. And while I had deep uh, respect and admiration for the the true American justice system, uh, even though it has flaws, uh, the democratic constitutional republic has created a justice system that has cross-examination and a plethora of protections that pr- protect uh, both real victims and who accuse and people who, who are uh, innocent. And that filtering out of the process based on the truth and based on evidence is something that the justice system does. And the Connecticut Supreme Court, as you pointed out, showed that... I want to get to this. So so basically what we have here is we have two two tracks of justice, right? You were arrested. You were were put on trial. uh, Your lawyers had the right, as every defendant does, to cross-examine those who are making accusations against you. Uh, and you were acquitted by a jury of your peers. That's that's the way the criminal justice system works. Then you're subjected to this, what I guess we can only call a kangaroo court. And, and the, the idea that the Connecticut Supreme Court sided with you over Yale is, says, I think, everything here about how unfair it was. This was Yale having its own ju- sort of quasi-judicial system in which you can't cross-examine. Your lawyers weren't allowed to be uh, in the same room as, as the hearing, on and on and on and on. We've, and we've done a lot of k- work on this about Title IX and how unfair um, these hearings are. My question is this. Is the issue that Yale did what the federal government wanted them to do, or Yale sort of went beyond the unfairness that even the federal government allows and had its own its own sort of hearing system? I believe it is a uh, confluence of many factors, uh, including the Dear Colleague letter that Obama had issued in 2011 and the investigation that the Department of Education was forcing universities to go through, uh, within which universities would lose their federal funding, of which Yale receives hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Granted, most of those are about research, um, but the school is a corporation at the end of the day. And it is, there's been a capture of the administration with the uni, within the university by extreme Jacobin 
leftists that that uh, are raining their terror upon innocent kids. And in their calculation, they assume that uh, being from Afghanistan and being vulnerable, I, I mean, I had $94 in my bank account when they... Uh, uh, kicked me out, summarily suspended me, and they yeah. contacted. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I think about I, I think about why you're suing, and you know we we've often sort of questioned the the civil lawsuits and these sort of huge numbers, but 110 million dollars an awful lot of money. You were you were acquitted, found not guilty by a jury of your peers. Now you want 110 million dollars. How do you get? And I say this respectfully, though. You, I, I get that your reputation was ruined. I get that your 20s were taken from you. And it's why we're having you on, because it, it seems profoundly wrong. But how do you justify $110 million? So that's largely a question for the jury to determine in the sense that what should we do when Yale is not merely adjudicating the process, but they're putting their grubby fingers on the scale. They had uh, destroyed exculpatory evidence and they were trying to mess with the prosecutor and they had notes passed around that said he's from Afghanistan he must have done it because violence is accepted there and along why do you think why do you think uh, they hate why would they hate you so much why would they have it out for you so it's it's again a confluence of factors i tend to go with my principles there was uh there was not much that yale when I was on campus that people could do regarding me. I was not the easy-to-fit box of white straight male. And, and, and I largely spoke about issues that I thought was unfair, and including issues of, of, of politics, including issues related to, to gender, or including issues mm. to all sorts of stuff. I, I, I don't shy away from it. And so I'm not simply suing the university. I am taking down the entire system. Uh, ultimately, I would prefer that colleges should never be in the business of adjudicating crime. Should we let them adjudicate murder, arson? What about tax fraud? Uh, it's a, it, look, it's a, it's a fascinating question. And the pendulum is swinging. Uh, it swung so hard one direction, right? Um, and obviously, you were a victim of that. And now it's starting to swing back. And uh, this lawsuit, the idea of being able to sue for defamation, um, Really applaud your lawyers, too, because it's a it's a really interesting way of going after the university. Um, we're going to keep following the case. Thank you. We appreciate it. Um, and, and look, it, it, it takes somebody being willing to stand up for what's right and saying, I'm, I'm going to put a stake down and I'm going to fight for my freedom, as you did. And then I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight back against uh, these universities in order to, to get change. So we applaud you for that. It's good seeing you. Uh, come back and talk to us. All right. Thank you for having me, Leland. Yeah, thank you. And look, it's clear that how sexual assault allegations have been handled on college campuses is a deeply flawed process. You could argue it was deeply flawed long before, and the pendulum then swung too hard one way and now swinging back. Schools, as you have heard, are now allowed to have this quasi-judicial system with their own set of rules, regulations, that do not follow anything having to do with the rules of state and federal judicial systems. Kangaroo Courts, News Nation legal analyst Sarah Azari is here um, with us. Sarah, I think it's important to make this note, right, is at one point there were so many young women who were terrified to come forward. These processes were put in place to try to encourage them to come forward. How do we find in a happy medium here, or do we just say schools shouldn't have any part of this? I think your show is called On Balance, Leland. Um, there needs to be balance in this. 
And, you know, as a woman, I, of course, want women to come forward without any fear of retaliation, without a fear of being, uh, you know, not believed. But I do this in, in a court of law and I do Title IX. I defend Title IX cases as well. And I see the absolute damage that this Me Too movement that's now become a racket has done to the process. You know, when we're in a Title IX tribunal, like you said, it's uh, not a real court. It's made up of administrators. There's no judge or jury. Evidentiary rules are limited, uh, no cross-examination, preponderance of evidence is the standard, not beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, You know, it it really is set up to just kind of check the box that they allowed the accused to present his case and then then find him guilty. And so, uh, you know, and and when we look to it, you know, how victims play out in a court of law, there's an exorbitant number of bad act witnesses, prior, prior acts that are let in. They, they're not part of the case. They're not accusing the defendant in that specific case. Statute of limitations have run. So, Sarah, but what, are, allowed- what do you make of this lawsuit? And this, when we read about it, it's sort of wild to sue your accuser of defamation, which normally is protected because if you you know you file a criminal complaint, you're you're protected. Uh, if it goes through the, you're protected by what you say in court. That. The, the Connecticut Supreme Court, of all people, would say that the Yale process was so unfair, you don't get that protections. It, it feels like a watershed moment to me. It is. And I think another watershed moment that we saw was, for example, you know, his defamation suit um, was with the Johnny Depp case. You know, we're seeing yeah. that. Um, there are false accusations a lot. There are people that are telling the truth, but there are a lot of women who are not telling the truth. And so we have to have a system in place. And cross-examination, Leland, is the key tool that we have to test somebody's credibility. When it's he said, she said, and we don't have forensics, we rely on cross-examination. And yeah. so what better than to defer to a real court with real rules of evidence to let it play out? I, I think this defamation suit is significant. Uh, because essentially, you know, I get this question all the time. All right, well, now I spend all this money and I defend myself and then I get acquitted. Um, what about the damage that was done to me? How do I go after this person for, for making false allegations? And so this is key because I think they, there must be, um, you know, evidence that not only she didn't you know, meet the standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, but that she had actually made false accusations. It's, yeah, it's I, hard. I, I, yeah, what Seif said I thought was interesting was he said, and we can't independently confirm this, but the idea that there were emails and other things from Yale uh, sort of putting their hand on the scale and trying to, to, to change the case. That that changes everything. Um, sir, Absolutely. thank you very much. We appreciate, we appreciate it. Next, an Atlanta police officer lays down the law during a street takeover. The lesson that departments in other big cities are failing to learn. Out dealing with street takeovers, you know, where big gangs of kids take over intersections and city streets. Well, it's pretty easy to deal with, as evidenced by this video shared with News Nation by ATL Uncensored. It comes from Atlanta over the weekend, where you can see a truck doing donuts after that huge group took over the intersection. Then the Georgia State Patrol showed up. Coming. That's it, the car. Oh, 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 o
baby. You cold, baby. You cold like baby. You cold like a You cold like a Uh, the treatment in Atlanta is very different than across America this summer and spring, where large groups literally took over intersections and mayhem occurred. Police in most of those cities are under orders to stand down, as you can see uh, by some of the video. It was absolutely wild. Obviously, none of those were where the Georgia State Patrol could show up. Former Detroit Police Chief Ralph Godby is with us now. Chief, it's good to see you. Uh, first of all, I feel like that guy in the video deserves a, a tryout as a play-by-play announcer on Cops. But um, you, think about, you think about this, and what's striking to me is we put up the quad box of all of the other street takeovers. If the police in any one of those cities had done what that Georgia State Patrol officer had done, It'd be the cops, not the driver, who was in trouble. You know, Leland, unfortunately, there's a a modicum of truth to that. But the reality is the the, the citizens on the ground, and that's left or right, uh, they understand how dangerous this is. But, you know, what's old is new again. Uh, Street takeovers are not new. It's almost like a bad rerun of a, a James Dean movie except the stakes are so much higher now. Uh, but I, there is there are solutions. And I don't know how innovative uh, Atlanta has been in their enforcement, but there are two words or two phrases that they need to familiarize themselves with. Civil asset forfeiture and nuisance abatement. You start taking the cars and you hold them. Uh, if the person owns the car free and clear, uh, you take them through a civil asset forfeiture process. If they don't, then you put a lien on the uh, finance company, I guarantee you that'll slow that trend down quite a bit. Huh. I, I look at this video and it's shocking more people don't die, right? Because the, these cars coming yes. into people and, and on and on and on. I, I'm wondering why there are so many police departments that take such a hands-off approach to this. Well, I think they're they're afraid of the liability because if you chase these persons, number one, without the police chasing them, they're doing absolutely idiotic things. <clears throat> I mean, they watch too much Fast and Furious. So now you engage them in a chase. You don't know what you're chasing them for. Arguably, you're chasing them possibly uh, for a civil infraction or a misdemeanor at best. Car gets out of control, plows over, somebody kills them. Now the police department is at fault. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. But is it time that we change the laws that the police departments are not at fault if they cha- chase people who are engaged in criminal activity? I mean, I feel like the people in these street takeovers know that. It's why when the Georgia State Patrol showed up, they ran versus knowing that the that the Atlanta cops wouldn't even show up. I, I can't help but feel like what's more dangerous, the risk of a police chase or the risk to all these people from this behavior? I mean, it's six in one hand, a half a dozen in the other, Leland. But you're right. There's got to be a place we meet in the middle. And there are reasonable ways to enforce laws that are on the books, number one, but also take a little bit of the onus off of the police departments. Police departments have become so handcuffed through civil liability that yeah. they're afraid to chase. And, and, and it really does a disservice to the quality of life of the citizens on the ground. Yeah, no question about that. Um... All right, uh, Chief, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. Coming up, good guy with a gun embodies the phrase, hold my beer. 
what prosecutors say should happen to him after he stopped a robber while holding a six-pack. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Watching News Nation, news for all America. Turns out a shopper in southern Michigan literally didn't need anyone to hold his beer while he stopped an armed robber. This is from a convenience store out of Cass County that's near the Indiana line. A career criminal tried to hold the place up with a box cutter. Uh, as you can see, a man buying beer, Miller Lite if you're interested, pulled out his pistol and shot the robber seven times. And through the whole thing, never put his beer down. Just today, Cass County Prosecutor Victor Fitz announced the beer buying hero would not be charged in the case. And the prosecutor joins us now. It's good to see you, sir. Um, so how, how is this working now? Is this just a, a, a self def- clear-cut self-defense case? Well, Leland, first of all, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. It's an honor to be here. Uh, and again, yeah, this is really, for me, just another day at the office. Uh, this is self-defense. Uh, and in, in Michigan... For 160 years, the law has been that you have a right to protect yourself and others if you're facing uh, imminent uh, danger of death or serious injury. And that's exactly what this uh, this patron did in this situation. And uh, certainly we had to look at all of the evidence uh, to make sure that we uh, vetted it for thoroughly. But having done that, uh, uh, this uh, patron acted lawfully and he acted to protect both himself as well as uh, even more so the clerk in this situation. Yeah, I, pretty calm and collected as he as he did that. Um, had a concealed carry permit, carrying the weapon legally. I can't help but think about this in the context of what we're seeing in America. And we think about the the discussion over Jason Aldean's song, Try This in a Small Town, Try That in a Small Town. This is small town America, um, where the police aren't necessarily uh, 30 seconds away in the like. And I'm wondering if, if there's a reality that big city folks just don't understand about how small town folks have to look out for each other. Well, you know, really, I don't think that this is just a small town, big town situation. You know, the law in Michigan, like I mentioned before, hasn't changed. It's been the same for over a century. And I think it's what it is. It's incumbent upon prosecutors uh, and the public to understand that, uh, at least in Michigan, you have the right to protect yourself. It's a serious responsibility. I mean, you know, life is at all stages is extremely important. and, you know, you want to protect it both, uh, you know, somebody who's been robbed as well as the robber. But again, in this situation, uh, he made the the decision he felt was reasonable at the time. And uh, certainly the, the clerk agreed with them. The clerk said he saved my life. And again, I think whether you're urban or rural, uh, you know, the important thing is let's obey our laws and let's uh, let uh, law abiding citizens protect themselves uh, in situations where that's necessary. Well, the flip side also is if you don't pull a box cutter out and try to rob uh, the convenience store, then there's there's no problem. If we all obey the law, then then things work out pretty well. Uh, Cornelius Anthony Martin uh, is now charged with assault, habitual offender, uh, so he could be uh, ending up with life in prison, armed robbery, uh, arm, assault with intent to rob while armed, uh, on and on and on. This is uh, obviously the person who was the shooter, but the, the there's the charges against Anthony Martin. Um, 
we've heard so much lately about retail uh, establishments and companies not allowing their employees to get involved at all, right? You can't confront, you can't chase, you can't do that. We've seen it with the mass shoplifting, and that's really largely in urban in urban cities, and that, maybe that's where the try it in a small town thing comes in. But that said, I, I'm wondering if there's almost a danger that all of a sudden, if the the robbers know the the clerks can't do anything, then it almost makes everybody now in every convenience store, every Lululemon or every department store uh, in a position where they may have to defend themselves or somebody else because thieves are more emboldened these days. Yeah, and again, I think it is important to make a distinction. You can't use deadly force to protect uh, necessarily, uh, you know, a, a, a property theft. You can't shoot and kill somebody for that. But having said that, again, um, I do think it's important. I, I, and you are correct. I think, and in, in certainly in small towns, and I, I know a lot of larger urban areas, maybe not all of them, that um, you know, if a if a store clerk you know, protects their property, tries to apprehend the person and so forth. They need to be cautious. They need to be careful because that can be a, a, a serious, uh, uh, you know, danger to them. But they're certainly not going to run into any problem from, from a prosecutor. They're really going to be, uh, you know, applauded for, for again, uh, trying to make sure that the laws are obeyed. All right. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, sir. Famed socialite and child sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell isn't too happy about her current prison conditions. We've got her impressive list of grievances to air, and perhaps more important, if this means she'll finally tell the truth about Epstein's famous friends. Sex trafficker and Jeffrey Epstein madam Ghislaine Maxwell lives at one of the cushiest federal prisons there is. Yet according to the Daily Mail, her gripes, her grievances about said prison are a mile long. She's been such a handful, she's earned the nickname Prison Karen. Ghislaine has been in the FCI Tallahassee a little under a year and has already filed 400 official grievances. To save you from doing the math, that's more than seven a week, one a day. Moaning Maxwell is not happy about lots of things, not having access to hair dye, the lack of vegan options. She filed an official complaint that the laundry lady was rude. She gets upset when Temple is canceled or when her legal phone calls are late. Maxwell's, of course, behind bars, serving 20 years in prison for helping Jeffrey Epstein abuse underage girls for years and years and years. Soared accounts of sexual exploitation of girls as young as 14 throughout the early 90s and into the early 2000s. Now, to be fair, we do understand Maxwell's current conditions just aren't what she's accustomed to. Wellesley Socialite grew up in a 53-room mansion, also served as headquarters for her dad's publishing company. She attended Oxford University used to hang out with the likes of Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton, and even Donald Trump. With us now, Larry Levine, founder and director of Wall Street Prison Consultants, U.S. District Court-appointed sentence mitigation expert. Good to see you, uh, as always. Uh, Look, it's an impressive list of grievances. Are we surprised? No, I mean, the rich, the famous, whoever, they expect the staff to cater to them. And when they get into a prison, they find out that they're a no one. And your list is a little short. It's 900 grievances, not 400. And it started back when she was a pre-trial or pre-sentence detainee at the detention center in New York. And she keeps like a little journal. I talked to some people in the prison just before this broadcast, some inmates that filled me in. And she's generally writing a grievance every day, and she's following up on those grievances 
with a new grievance. So it's a never-ending uh, line of complaints. And that's where I guess they think that she's a Karen because she's complaining about staff on the grievances. But the inmates, she fronts the inmates off. So she's kind of wow. ratting people out. And so in a prison, there's two things that people hate. Someone that's a rat and someone that's a child molester. And this lady can't hide because everyone knows what she's there for. Yeah. Oh, we, as, we, as we understand, it's 400 about the current prison. And then you've got the ones from the, the previous prison. These are carryover. Yeah, same rate, one a day. This is my question, okay? What's her, what's her game here? You know, this is a woman who is a master at manipulating the system and manipulating uh, young girls and everything else going through everything. What, what's the game? Is it to get a lighter sentence or is it to get this moved? Isn't, okay, these are what's called administrative remedies. This goes through the Bureau of Prisons grievance process. She's filing what's called a BP-9. It goes to the institution it's then appealed up to a BP-10 to the Federal Bureau of Prisons Regional Office. Then it goes to an 11. It goes to Washington, to the central office. At that point, she can actually file a habeas corpus lawsuit in the federal prison that has jurisdiction, the federal court that has huh. jurisdiction over the prison. But this has nothing to do with her sentence. She's more or less complaining about the conditions of her confinement. It's completely different. She doesn't really have... An end game here, other than complaining. And she's got other issues because from what I've been told, the inmates don't like her. She doesn't shower. Maybe once really? every four days, she wipes herself down with those, I don't know, like big diaper pads or something. The other inmates make her leave her Ooh. shoes outside because they stink. And it reached the point that... Over the holidays, the inmates, they created like a song for her, like, just lane, just lane, don't be a bitch, everybody knows you're a whining snitch. <laughs> and when people come up with something you know, Larry, like Larry, this... Larry, we've, we've had a lot of things happen on the show. I've yet to hear anybody sing a prison jingle. So um, that's well, a new I mean, one. It was a new well, one. I, I gotta get you, I only got, I, Larry, I got to get you on this real quick. Um, Tallahassee amenities, it's a whole list. This is like camp fed, everything's great. Is there any way to pressure her to actually be a snitch on all the people who she was providing girls for and all of Epstein's black book and everything else? Well, they could threaten to give her more time. Remember, she's not at a camp, okay? She's at a place where there's two fences, there's a roving patrol of cops with machine guns waiting, while waiting to light people up if they try to go over the fence, but she's living in dormitory living. People with 20 years and less are there. Now, they could, for whatever reason, boost her up in custody, stick her in a medium security prison where she's there oh with bank robbers and killers, major drug deals, right. dealers, and they could lock yeah, her Larry, in a cell Larry, 23 it may, it may, hours I, I got to run. Yeah, I got I to gotta run, but... Uh... Yeah, imagine the list of complaints with that. Larry, thank you. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Go to warnotes.com and subscribe. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day, both about the war in the Middle East, the political war back here at home, and the war for President Biden's re-election. It's literally how we put the show together every day, and you get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter. That's warnotes.com and subscribe for free. 
The end of the year is a good time to reflect. And over this year, we would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to thank you, our viewers. Without your trust and time, nothing we do or say matters. We hope your Christmas and New Year's holidays centers around family, love, fun, food, and a lot of football. But invariably, when it does turn to politics, the conversation that is, tell your family about News Nation. Tell them why you trust us, why you think we're fair, why you choose to spend part of your evening with us. We're grateful for you. We work hard every night to earn your trust. We wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. want you to know what our government does with billions of your dollars and our special forces when it comes to UAPs. Why? Why is so much of it classified if there's nothing to talk about? A lot of the same media, by the way, that chase after me love to laugh at my insistence on this issue. Really? You're into little green men? Martians? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.